Amen. Amen. Good morning, Harvest. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Well, it's great to be together in the house of the Lord. And whether you're in person here or online, we are so thankful that you are here. You are welcome here. You are loved here. And praise God for how he is working and moving here. Amen. Amen. Praise God for those three baptisms last week. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that how Jesus Christ is building his church? And that is amazing. Um, and so we're super thankful for so many ways in which God is doing that. And one of them is the, the lives that are being transformed and God uses you in a variety of ways to do that. And as was shared during the announcements, I just want to reiterate for uh, just an opportunity to give thanks and to rejoice this morning. Uh, a, w- a little bit more than 10 days into, uh, two weeks into announcing our, our sort of $10,000 challenge, end of the year giving challenge to sort of catch up on our giving shortfall, which we have. And you can see that through the app as you download that. And also to support some missional endeavors that we have, um, both in the Dominican Republic and supporting our very own Victoria Garris, who is serving in Nicaragua, who happens to be here this morning. Praise God for that. Amen. So she's here the next couple of weeks. Uh, make sure you talk to her. We look forward to actually sort of capturing some of what God's doing in her and through her and the work in Nicaragua coming up. But we are 47% of the way there. And praise God for that. Amen. $4,700 has been given above and beyond normal giving. December giving is actually up already as well. And so thank you for responding to sort of just the challenge and the heart of what God is doing. And then just let's not stop. Let's pray that God would provide the rest of this and above and beyond. Amen. And what is your best gift to participate in what God is doing? End of the year giving again is above and beyond uh, normal tithes and offerings. And we're also asking you as a heart of worship to, to really evaluate what would God have you do in a normal tithing first fruits way as well. Praise God for that. My question for all of us this morning is this, what are you rejoicing in this morning? Like, hmm. It got really quiet in here when I said that, right? You're like, joy? I don't know. What is that? You know, for me, I'm rejoicing in the fact that my commanders won't lose a game today. <laughs> it's because they don't play. <laughs> uh, <laughs> praise God for that. I, I joke, but if I'm being really honest, there's some sincerity in that. Because so often I think facetiously I attach some level of joy to whether my team wins or whether they lose it. What do you have to be joyful about today? Jesus. Amen. Yes, that can be amen. And we're going to see that in the text today. Hopefully that's not just a Sunday school answer, but it's a soul level answer. Because one of the things we're going to say is that joy, happiness is surface level. Joy is soul level. And we're going to see that in the text today. And we're going to see it in our lives. And perhaps when I ask you, what are you rejoicing about today? Maybe you're like, frankly, Pastor Dan, Nothing. If I think about joy in the Christmas season, I'm more bah humbug than I am praise the Lord. Because the the circumstances of my life, the situations that I'm going through are so ever before me that I'm attaching my joy to the circumstances. And I find myself more Grinch-like than Christ-like. Maybe that's you this morning. We're going to look in the text as we continue our verse-by-verse journey through the first couple chapters of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see two ladies, one Literally, what scripture calls her old. When scripture says she's old age, we're allowed to say she's old, right? Um, and, and, Mary, and Elizabeth and one younger, Mary. Both of whose circumstances and situations are, are overwhelming. Both of them are fighting isolation, potentially in different ways. Some Elizabeth has had uh, the reproach of culture and the community that she's experienced for decades, not having to be, uh, not having a child and being barren and stuff said about her and whispered about her as the text has said earlier in Luke one. And Mary has some uncomfortable conversations ahead of her when it's revealed that she is with child in the months to come when people start to go, how'd that happen? Who'd you cheat on Joseph with? Both of them 
If they looked at their circumstances and the overwhelming reality of them, there's reasons, many reasons to not have joy, but we're going to see them in the text over and over today. Choose joy because they experience the manifest presence of God. Because our joy is not anchored or tethered to what we do or don't have in this world. It is, it is anchored into what God has given us in sending his son from heaven to this world to save us. That same great God that met Elizabeth and Mary in the middle of their circumstances is here to meet you in the middle of whatever circumstances you find yourself in today. Here's a helpful biblical working definition of biblical joy. It's not a be all end all, but I found it helpful over the years that biblical joy is supernatural delight in the grace of God, the person of God, the purposes of God, the promises of God and the power of God. Biblical joy is supernatural delight. It's not from me. I am not the source of it. I can't order it on Amazon to have two days later when prime shows up, right? I can't go to the, the counter and make it like I would a Christmas cookie. There's no magical recipe that I can do because it's supernatural. It's from God. It's a gift of God's grace to me. It is literally a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God. It's supernatural and it's delighting in God. It's not delighting in my circumstances because frankly, a lot of our circumstances aren't good this morning, are they? Let's be really real. They're hard, they're heavy, they're hurting. We're grieving, we're wondering, we're, we're searching. Happiness is fleeting and conditional. Joy is supernatural. It's clinging and delighting and finding our delight in our never-changing God in the middle of our ever-changing world. Today, friends, will you find your joy because it's available to you as you're sourced your satisfaction of joy in Jesus? And you set your heart and your hope, not on your earthly circumstances, but on the one who loves you, who created for you, you and died for you in God, our heavenly father. We don't have joy because our circumstances are good. Sometimes they're not. Many of our circumstances right now are not. We have joy because our God is always good. Always. He cannot not be good. Here's a, the big idea in your, um, you'll see it on the screen. You'll see in your notes. Rejoicing, which is a sort of a, a response, is my response to recognizing the surpassing greatness of God. Rejoicing is my response to recognizing the surpassing greatness of God, that the greatness of God surpasses my circumstances, my situations, my seasons, my financial struggle, my relationship brokenness, my past failures, my future uncertainty that the surpassing greatness of God is in all over all and will see me through all. Praise God for that. Amen. And because of that, we can rejoice as we anchor our hope in that. Friends, I want to give you hope today that joy is possible even when your life circumstances are less than ideal or frankly are terrible because Jesus is with you today and every day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the reality of the beauty of, of your majesty. God, elevate our eyes off of ourselves and onto you today. Take our eyes off our situations and our circumstances off ourselves, and help us to see you exalted and lifted high, mighty and holy and reigning because that's who you are, God. And fill us with your supernatural joy and help us to choose it 
as a response to the reality of who you are and your surpassing greatness in every season, in every situation, and in every circumstance. Help us to find our delight in you. Help us to desire you above all. Jesus, do the work that you, want, uh, that you promise, Holy Spirit. Convict our hearts. Comfort our hurt, hurting souls. Encourage us, exhort us, compel us to make us more like you and help us to respond in faithful obedience to you. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna look at the text today, Luke chapter one, for three different reasons to rejoice because I don't know about you, I need some reasons to rejoice today, don't you? Yeah, Luke one, verses 39 beginning in verse 39. And if you don't have a copy of God's word, one is available for you in the back. It would do nothing. Uh, nothing would delight us more than for you to take that as our gift to you and for you to read that and, and learn to love it and dig into it. Luke one, beginning in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with the good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Three reasons to rejoice today. And remember that rejoicing is anchoring as a, anchored in the responding to who God is to us. And it's a battle. It's a choice that we all can make. You can all experience joy today. It's a choice. It is a choice to respond. How will you respond? The first reason you, we all have to rejoice, not just today, but every single day, we need to renew our minds in this reality, is recognize God is always working in, through, and around me. And as I recognize that God is always working in me, through me, and around me, I should respond with what? Rejoicing. Praise God for that, amen. Isn't that awesome? That in every circumstance, in every situation, God is working for his good to accomplish his purposes. Remember, joy is supernatural delight in God's purposes, in God's power, in God's grace. And if he's working to do those things, praise God, I'm going to delight in them, even if my circumstances are dismal on earth, because God's at work. Remember, as we set this context, and remember what we've looked at already previously the last couple of weeks in Luke chapter one, teenage Mary last week was visited by Gabriel and then was told by Gabriel that, that she, the Christ, Jesus, would become birthed out of her, that she would conceive our savior. That she would 
be the mother of the one who would save us all. Praise God for that. Previously, the week before, Elizabeth, her relative, was told by the same angel, or was, was her husband, Zechariah, was told by the angel that Elizabeth, in her old age, in her barrenness, would conceive John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner to Jesus Christ. And as the angel then last week, as we saw in Luke 1, tell Mary that, by the way, your relative Elizabeth is six months pregnant, both as a sign of, of God's power and God's plan, Mary is encouraged by that. And we see her now in verse 39, immediately she arose and went with haste to the hill country in a town of Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now this journey, you'll see a map behind me. This journey is about a hundred miles. Okay. So from where in Nazareth, where Mary was down to the hill country of Judah, it's about a hundred mile journey for, for Mary. It's not a, this easiest journey. It's not the safest journey. And she journeyed down to the hill country of Judah to be with her relative. Now, as Mary continued to, and, and she enters into the house, we see the heart of God as both these ladies continue to experience the grace of God and the blessing of God. The fact that they are both pregnant is a sign of God's grace. One advanced in years who was barren and one who has never had a sexual relationship in her life, both supernaturally impregnated by God. Mary immaculately, Elizabeth with Zechariah in her old age. Praise God for that. Now, we don't know definitively, but we have strong suggestions when you compare this to the Matthew 1 text that Mary and Joseph probably have not communicated what has happened yet. So Mary goes and she's with Elizabeth for three months. By that time, she's probably showing when she comes back. Now, we know in Matthew 1, in that text, when the angel visits when the angel visits Joseph, that he's, the text says when Mary was found to be pregnant, right? That was when the angel visited Joseph. So Mary is probably heading off into the hill country, having not talked to anyone yet about what God is doing to her. Imagine that feeling and what you're carrying, that, that privilege, but that burden, knowing that coming ahead of her are some really difficult conversations. Not sure how Joseph is going to react or not react, or her parents or those that are around her. Just imagine with that uncertainty of the future that is overshadowing her as she visits her relative. Now, when she walks in the room, everything changes. Isn't it amazing what happens when Jesus Christ, when God manifests his presence, everything changes when God shows up. Amen. What what happened? Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the the baby, which is John the Baptist, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry. So she's about to rejoice, exclaim with a loud cry in response to the presence of God, the working of God. Everything changes when God shows up. You know what I pray every week for Sunday mornings? That God would manifest his presence that he would work in a profound way here. Now remember Elizabeth, it's not just God's grace that God had given Elizabeth to Mary, but also Mary to Elizabeth. 
If you look back of previously in verse 25, we know that, or 24 and 25, we know that after Elizabeth had conceived for five months, she kept herself hidden. We also know previously from that text, because Zechariah did not believe the word of God from the angel of God, that the angel of God made him mute until John the Baptist is going to be born. So guess what? For the totality, and Elizabeth is six months pregnant, because that is what Gabriel told in verse 36 of chapter one, Mary last week. So for the totality of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Zechariah has said zero words to her. Now, ladies, is it a good thing or a bad thing if your husband would not be able to speak to you for the totality of your pregnancy? It might depend on the day, right? In the moment. But that's what's happening here. But Elizabeth had isolated herself for five months. She'd been hidden. She has a husband who's not talking to, can't talk to her. She finally shows up. Somebody I can talk to. Somebody who gets me. So it's God's grace that these ladies have each other, one older, one younger. Praise God for that. And God working in a profound way in them both, through them both, around them both. And there's some incredible theological truths and and distinctives that happen right here in this narrative. One, we see this. We see that the Holy Spirit came and filled Elizabeth. Isn't that awesome? Now, pre-Pentecost, which happens in Acts 1, the Holy Spirit came and went, came and went. Post-Pentecost, when you commit your life to the Lord, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you and is, fills you and lives inside you. Praise God for that. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 is very helpful in understanding that concept as are other verses. But Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit in a way this was sort of uh, fulfilling what would have been Gabriel told Zechariah previously in chapter one, when it said that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, verse 15 of chapter one. So isn't it cool to see God working here? So the work of the Holy Spirit is profound. And we see that what happens after the Holy Spirit fills, her, uh, fills Elizabeth, then she rejoiced. So again, we see that rejoicing is linked to the Holy Spirit working in us. It's a fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of God's grace and God working in her life. Now, not only do we see the, 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 the importance of the Holy Spirit here, here's a fun trivia question for you, right? Verse 43, Mary goes, and, and Elizabeth is, is rejoicing and exclaiming. And she goes in verse 43, she says, why is this to, granted to me that the mother of my Lord should visit me. Now, if someone were to ask you, who is the first person in the Bible to, de- to de- declare and pronounce that Jesus is Lord, who would you say? Some might say Peter. You can make an argument in this text that it's actually Elizabeth. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And there's actually another th- really powerful thing happening here. And so when, Mary is filled with, uh, when Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, the pre- and then Mary shows up, She's saying, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed in verse 45, she says, blessed for three times. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Holy Spirit. We see in this totality of the text, both there are three different people that rejoicing. The first one is who? Elizabeth, exclaiming with a loud voice. The second one very clearly, and we'll touch on this in a little, in a little bit, is Mary in verse 47, when she sings her song and she says, my spirit rejoices in God. You know who the third person that is rejoicing in this text is? John the Baptist. How old is he? Negative one. Okay. Not exactly negative one, but he's six months in the womb. And look very, very clearly. The text speaks very clearly. Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The baby's alive in her womb. 
of gentle, loving, but very reality pastoral moments, life is in the womb. Sanctity of life is vitally important to God, created by God, and as the people of God, we must do everything we can to advocate for it, protect it, love it. We also need to be, that's the totality of sanctity of life. We also need to be very active in adoption, foster ministry, adoptions at the heart of the Christmas story. And I also want to say this, this, this reality that, that I love you. And if, if, if abortion in some way has touched your life, your family's life, part of your story, your family's story in some capacity, I just want you to know that God loves you. And that God's grace is sufficient. His love is sufficient. His mercy is sufficient. His gospel is sufficient. And part of the reason that Elizabeth is rejoicing is because into the messiness of the world that is around her, she sees that the Messiah has come to save not just her, but all of them. Praise God for that. Amen. That into all of our mess, and we all have different levels and layers of mess, that that Jesus is sufficient, that God loves all of us. And as Elizabeth recognizing the work of God in her life, she is filled by the Holy Spirit. She's filled in the womb with John the Baptist. She's also working, recognizing the work of God that is around her as Mary comes and she says, the Holy Spirit reveals to her that Mary has Jesus Christ, the savior of the world in her womb. And then she is work, recognizes the reality of how God will work through Mary to give birth to the Lord and savior Jesus to offer salvation to all around us, she rejoices because she recognizes the work of God in her, around her, and through her. Praise God for that. That same God that is working then is working now over and over and over again. Another important theological distinctive here is that the, the text says this, it says when the blessing that Elizabeth gives Mary says, blessed are you among women. It doesn't say in verse 40, Two, it doesn't say blessed are you above women. So we want to emulate Mary's surrender. We want to emulate Mary's obedience, but we don't want to elevate Mary to a place that scripture doesn't. And I think that it's really, really important. Praise God for Mary's surrender and sacrifice and service. And may we all have that same heart and for how God chooses to use her in his grace in the way in which he does. God chooses who he chooses to do what he wants, when he wants, for whatever reason he wants to bring glory to himself. Praise God for that. And may we rejoice because of that. It's a humbling reality because recognizing the work of God in us, through us and around us should always lead us to rejoicing because of the work of God. And is, is God always working? Do you believe that? And if recognizing the work of God should always lead to rejoicing because of the work of God, if God is always working, what should we always be doing? Rejoicing. We have a reason to rejoice because God is at work. He's always at work. He's at work in in everything. But the reality is, is that joy is often fickle. It's like when I was a kid and I went to a 4th of July party at my pool and we had this greased up watermelon and you had to get it from one area to the other. It's just like, I think I have joy, but then it slips. I think I have joy and then it slips. But you know what really joy is is based in? Rejoicing is anchored in believing. Look at verse 45. And blessed is she who believed. Elizabeth is is rejoicing at Mary's belief. Belief that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Joy is anchored in believing the reality that God fulfills what he says. That he's going to accomplish his purposes and he fulfills his promises. Do you believe that in your life today? 
Because I think often the lack of rejoicing in our life, the lack of joy in our life can be directly tied to the lack of believing in our life. The lack of believing that God actually is good. The lack of believing that God is actually gracious. The lack of believing that God's purposes will actually be accomplished and or that God's purposes are actually best. The lack of believing in God's plan for me, because I can't see it, then I'm going to doubt it. Friends, where have you stopped believing in God today? And I'm not talking about like big picture, I mean, but in the everyday reality of God's character in your life. I really believe strongly that lack of rejoicing is, is most often due to lack of believing. Where have you stopped believing that sanctification is your greatest desire? And God's glorification is your greatest delight. Because if sanctification is your greatest desire, you can rejoice because you will always be sanctified. God will use the really difficult and hard things in your life to make you more like Jesus. And if that's your greatest desire, that will always be accomplished because God's always at work. Praise him for that, amen? And if God's glory is your greatest delight, God will always be glorified whether our circumstances are poor or not. It's when we begin to shift our desires and our delights away from the centrality of the gospel and God himself and more on ourselves that we begin to experience less and less joy because we are living in the flesh and we're not full of the Holy Spirit. Because while we are full of, we are, we're not fueled by the Holy Spirit. While we can all be filled with the Holy Spirit and that happens when we experience authentic salvation, we, we need to live fueled by this, the Holy Spirit because you can be filled with the Holy Spirit but not fueled by the Holy Spirit because scripture says you can quench the Holy Spirit. When you live fueled by the Holy Spirit, we rejoice because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Where do you need to believe again the reality that God is working and that that is actually what is best for you? <coughs> we can believe every day. And today, I heard a great quote on this this week, and it was by a pastor who's well known by Pastor Crawford Loritz. He said, our emotions are great, are great passengers, but horrible drivers. <laughs> so where do we need to pull the car over take a little stretch break, refocus on the reality, fill ourselves up on the reality that God is actually at work in our lives and then kick the emotions out of the driver's seat and into the passenger seat and refill the the driver's seat with faith to believe that God will actually fulfill and like Mary did in verse 45, that God will fulfill what was spoken to her from the Lord, that we can believe that God's going to do what he says. Your emotions are real. Joy is not just through crushing your emotions and, and, and pushing them down and denying the reality of the difficulty. No, 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 no. It's in acknowledging the difficulty, but elevating God's sovereignty and God's sufficiency in and through it all. Rejoicing is my response to recognizing the surpassing greatness of God in my life. You know how joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? I want to read you that right now. In Galatians 5, verses 16 and then 23 through 25, I want you to listen to what it says about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to us this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And sometimes we often stop there as believers, right? But listen to verse 24 and 25. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. 
So if we want to experience the fruit of the Spirit, if you want to experience joy today, we must crucify the flesh. We must stop anchoring and sourcing our joy in fleshly things and start elevating divine things in Jesus. Joy comes when we crucify the flesh and we elevate Jesus Christ. That's how we experience joy. So where in your life are you letting to hang out, the flesh hang out, and you're sourcing your joy and your lack of rejoicing is because you're actually servicing the flesh. We need to be crucifying the flesh. It's not easy, but that's where joy comes in. Rejoicing is my response to recognizing the surpassing greatness of God. If he's surpassingly great, I want to crucify the flesh because I want more of God. I want to fill up on God and less on my flesh. The second reason that we have to rejoice today from this text is we remember who God is to me. So I need to recognize that God is always at work in me, through me, and around me. And now I need to recognize who God is to me. And when I recognize, when I remember who God is to me, guess what my response is? Rejoicing. Man, we need to recognize. And look at Mary's song. Mary begins to sing and worship. Worship is the elevation of God. Worship is ascribing worth. And this is often called the Magnificat, which is Latin. Anybody know Latin here? Some of you probably do. But it's called the Magnificat because when you translate the, the first word there and one of the song in verse 46 is translated into Latin. It means Magnificat anime mea dominum. My soul magnifies the Lord. How many of us could say that today, just authentically? My soul magnifies the Lord. Is that real of your life today right now? You're like, why is Mary magnifying the Lord? because of who God is to her. She outlines it in this song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit, what? Rejoices, rejoices. Now what's the next word after rejoice in your Bible? In, and then who? God. So that preposition rejoices in who? What's the source of her joy? God. What's the source of your joy today? Again, you might not have joy because you're trying to find it from the wrong source. Now look at who God is to her. God's her savior. God is her savior. And God's your savior today too. At least he offers you salvation. Who is God to you? Is he your savior? Because if God's your savior, don't we always have a reason to rejoice when we remember that reality? How many of us need to be reminded of the reality on a soul level, not a surface level, not just a tongue level or I can spit out some words level, but on a heart level that God is my savior. When you begin to think of who you were before Christ and who you are now after Christ, if you can't rejoice in that reality, I want to question if you have a pulse this morning. but how many of us actually take the time to remember that instead of just blow by it? And the gospel just becomes another word in our vernacular. We become so numb to it. May we never lose our numbness, shame on us. The beauty of the gospel. Who's your source of joy? Mary rejoiced in God. And remember, her joy was not contingent on whether Joseph would or would not break up with her or whether people around her would try to stone her because they had the right to, because infidelity would be both assumed and presumed. And that carried with it the opportunity for her to legitimately be stoned to death. 
Her joy was not contingent on her circumstances or a relationship or a marriage or a betrothal. It was on and in God. Where is yours? Because she remembered who God was to her. Where is yours? God is also mighty, the text says. Look at verse 49. He looked on me in the humble estate of his servant, for behold, and now all generations will call me blessed, for he who is what? Mighty. God is mighty. He doesn't just do mighty things and great things. He does. He is mighty. Praise God for that. That word mighty in the original language is awesome. It actually means donatus. And Dinah, if you think about that original, the, the beginning of that word, what does that sound like? Dinah might, yep. Guess what dynamite does? It blows things up. It removes obstacles. It breaks down barriers. It, may, might, it takes what seems like an insurmountable obstacle and makes it nothing when it meets the insurpassable power of God. God is mighty in your life. That same mighty God wants to work in your life today too. Praise God for that, amen. Because God is mighty, doesn't he deserve our praise? And if that's not enough for you, look at the text, 49, it continues later. And holy is his name. What's God's name? Holy. He's holy, we are not. He's without blemish. He is sovereign. He is supreme. He is in all, over all, through all. And our response should be reverence. Praise God that he is holy. He is uncompromisingly holy. He has a high standard of perfection and he doesn't lower it. But you know what he did? He, even though he doesn't lower his perfection, he sends his son because God is both uncompromisingly holy and unconditionally loving. He knows that we have a, a standard of perfection that, that we can't meet because one sin and we're no longer perfect and that requires a death sentence. So he sends his perfect son, Jesus Christ, born as a baby as we're looking at, carried by Mary in her, in her womb to die our death on the cross that we deserve to pay our price so that, that we can then be reconciled back to God in perfect, holy relationship, transformed from hostile before God to holy before God because of Jesus Christ. He took our sins and our rags and gave us his righteousness. Praise God for that. Amen. You beginning to rejoice yet? Because that, that will never change even when your phone bill does or doesn't. That will never change no matter what your job description says or doesn't say, or your relationship status. That reality will never change. And we need to remember who God is to us, that he is mighty. And he is merciful. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him. You know what that word fear means? It means revere. Are you revering God today? Because reverence is displayed by rejoicing. And you might be like, Pastor Dan, that's great and all, but I don't know. I, I just can't find the joy. That's great when you marry and you, you marry, got met by an angel and I'm not, I haven't seen an angel recently. <laughs> Do you know that Paul says multiple times in multiple books that we should rejoice sometimes? He actually doesn't say that. He says rejoice always. First Thessalonians 5, rejoice always. Philippians 4, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice because we need to be reminded to rejoice because we need to be reminded to remember the reality that our God is near. Paul says in Philippians 4, when he's in jail, his joy is not anchored on the conditions that he finds himself in. It's on the presence of Christ and what God has done for him. He says, I've learned what it's like to be brought high and low, that God's sufficient. Where are you sourcing your sufficiency? 
Like, how do I, how do I rejoice in this? Well, again, look at who God is to you. In verse 48, it says, for he is, Mary says, for he has looked upon the humble state of his servant. That word hum, humble estate is translated in other versions and also can mean low estate, can mean lowly. Mary does not deny the reality that she is lowly and the difficulty that comes in that. But even when she is lowly, look at what she says. I rejoice in God. Why? Because he is mighty and he has done great things. Sometimes God in his grace allows us to experience what it's like to be lowly so that we can experience just how mighty he is. And that's a gift of God's grace. We allow ourselves to be bitter because of our circumstances, but God's like, look at my greatness in the middle of your circumstances. Sometimes it's a gift of God to be brought low so we can see, learn more about the character of God than we ever would before. That's a gift of God's grace. Praise God for that. And even when, and when we are lowly, God is still mighty and he is still holy. That means he is still worthy of our praise even when we are lowly, isn't he? So we, may we never lose sight of God's mightiness and his holiness even when we are stuck in lowliness. And may we change our perspective from woe is me to worthy is he. Get our eyes off ourselves and onto our savior. Change our focus. Where in your life do you need to stop allowing the cry of your heart to be woe is me and no matter how lowly or how elevated you are today, be worthy is he. Because he is always holy, he is always mighty and he is always our savior. Praise God for that. Anybody like the Grinch who stole Christmas movie? I, I kind of like it, right? Yeah. So the Grinch has experienced not a lot of love in his life and he steals all the presents from Whoville because he wants them to be as miserable as he can. And maybe you're walking around going, if I have to be miserable, so do you, right? And he steals all the presents, all the trees, all the trims, and he's, he's walking up and you know what? They wake up on Christmas morning in Whoville. What are they doing? They're singing. They're, ha- they're joyful and they're rejoicing. And he's like befuddled. How does this be? And then he drops this line that is amazing. And he's, it says this, maybe Christmas actually doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas means just a little bit more. That's the story of Christmas, that joy doesn't come from a store. It means a lot more. It come, it's found in Christ. Joy begins when we choose to give thanks in all things. It's hard to be grateful and grumpy at the same time. Try it. You won't succeed. Choose gratitude. When you remember who God is to us, how can we not respond with gratitude and with rejoicing? Where do you need to remember who God is to you today? To replace the thoughts that are more self-focused and onto your savior. And I want to challenge you this. Like, you know what a helpful way for me to remember is? Is to write to journal or to write a song. What if, I want to challenge you to take some time this week to write a few stanzas of your own song, like Mary. Specific. Praise God that he, I, I, my soul rejoices in God, my savior. He has looked on me in my broken relationship, my financial struggle, and he has done great things. Like what would it look like if you looked upon this last year of your life or the last decade of your life and wrote a song just like Mary, just like David did in the Psalms. I want to challenge you to do that and to renew your mind. Romans 12, 12, 2, we need to do it daily on the reality of who God is. Remember who God is to us, how he is mighty, how he is holy and how he saves. Praise God for that and how he's merciful and work because rejoicing is my response to recognizing the surpassing greatness of God. May we remember that greatness today. And third and finally, the third reason that we have to give rejoice today is this, that 
rest in what God has done for me. So I want to remember who God is to me. And then I need to rest in the reality of what God has done for me. And when I rest in the reality of what God has done for me, I begin to rejoice because of what God has done for me. Amen. Rejoicing is anchored in abiding. Rejoicing is anchored in abiding. And look at all throughout this song that Mary sings. She doesn't just declare who God is to us. He is my savior. He is mighty. He is holy. He is merciful. She also interweaves what God has done for us and for her. She says, God has saved me. He offers salvation to us. God is my savior. He's looked upon the humble estate. Has God saved you? Genuine, authentic question. He has offered salvation to you, absolutely, but has he saved you? You are saved as you respond in faith to his gift of grace, that is salvation. It's a free gift for us. It costs Jesus everything. Has he saved you? Have you humbled yourself to receive that salvation? And if you have, if Jesus has saved you, if God has saved you, man, may we rejoice in that reality, amen? Because no one can take that away from us. No job or boss, no bank account number, no bills that are piling up, no bad call from the doctor or a debilitating diagnosis. Nothing can separate us from the salvation that God has given us. Praise God for that, or the love that God has given us. The second thing in this text that Mary talks about is that God offers us compassion. Verse 48, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant and behold, He's done a work in my life. He has met me where I was in my lowest moments and offered me compassion and love. In whatever state you're in today, God wants to meet you today too and have compassion and love on you. He sees you. He looks on you. He is looking right now upon you. He knows what you're walking through. He knows the struggles of your heart, the deep desires, the yearnings, the failures, and he loves you anyway. Praise God for that. He's going to provide for you. He's going to see you and love you and meet you wherever you are. God draws close to the lowly, to the broken. And Jesus knows what it's like. Read Isaiah 53. He knows what it's like to struggle and to hurt, to be rejected. May we find rest in the compassion of our loving God today. God does great things for us. Verse 49, he is mighty And he does something with that. He does great things for me. What's a great thing that God has done for you? Remember that. You might, I don't know, I haven't had a lot. Well, take some time. The fact that we woke up this morning with lungs in our breath is a great thing. Praise God for that, amen. He's done great things. Because he is great. We recognize them, remember them, and rest in them. And he is that same God wants to do it again. His way for his glory and his timing, but trust him. And God grants mercy to those who fear him. Verse 50 begins this transition in Mary's songs. It goes from micro to macro. She begins to zoom out. She's been talking about her personal experience and now she begins to prophesy. She begins to speak in the reality of what the mercy of God has done from generation and what he will, has done and will do. She begins to speak about how God is, has been merciful from the time of Abraham. And now from generation to generation, for those who fear him, they will receive mercy. Those who've gone before her are present with her and who come after her can receive the mercy of God and experience that in our mess. When we choose to revere God and put our faith in him, praise God that he grants mercy to those who fear him. That's a choice. If you choose to fear God today, you will receive mercy from God. Praise God for that, amen. If you choose to humble your heart and submit to the Lordship and surrender, you will receive mercy. Praise God for that. 
The gospel turns the world upside down. If you're hungry or you're hurting, check this out. God has shown the strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted those of humble estate. If you're lowly, God promises you to lift you up in your humility. He's filled the hungry with good things and that is not just physical, but that's spiritual. The rich he has sent away, sent away empty. To the hungry, to the hurting, God will meet you. To the prideful, God will cast you out and send you away. It's not the reality of the riches that cause these folks to be cast away from God. It's that they source their joy and put their hope for salvation in these riches and in their earthly power and not in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and not in our God, our Heavenly Father. Where's your source of salvation today in your sufficiency? God helps his people. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel. Praise God for that, amen. That God is our ever-present help in our time of need. Are you turning to him? Are you asking for help? Because to experience the full riches of God's mercy and grace, we need to humbly admit our spiritual poverty apart from God and declare our need for God and throw ourselves fully dependently on the, on the, the grace and mercy of God. And God fulfills his promises. Verse 54 and 55, He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever and ever. As he promised to Abraham, he's doing now. And that same God who has fulfilled his promises then will continue to fulfill his promises now. Praise God for that, amen. We can rejoice as we rest in the reality of what God has done for us, what God is doing for us and will do for us. But how many of us are struggling for rest today? Anybody else tired, weary? worn out, but it's Christmas. We should be focusing on Advent and preparing our hearts and joy, but I got cookies to bake and recitals to go to and kids to drive and work products to do by the end of the year and houses to clean and meals to prep and presents to buy. And anybody else tired yet? I'm not, I'm just getting started, right? You feeling me? Anybody else weary? I just want to encourage you right now to rest in the reality of God's grace and his gospel and his goodness. And I want to take the time to do that right now. In order to rest, remember rejoicing is, is anchored in our abiding. We need, to, we need to make that time. Would you just shut your eyes for me right now? I just want you to rest in this. I want you to literally just take a deep breath and exhale. All that stuff on your to-do list and exhale out as you think about the reality of God's grace. Inhale God's grace and exhale that tyranny of the urgent. And just sit and settle your heart. And move from running around to resting. I wanna read for you some lyrics to a song that has been modern praise song that has been super helpful for me. It's literally called What He's Done. It fits perfectly in the reality of resting in the reality of what God has done for us. It's my passion. I want you to just allow these true, the biblical truths of these lyrics to penetrate your heart and your soul and just to breathe them in and to breathe out the distractions, to breathe out the surroundings and just to soak in these rea gospel realities as you remind your heart who God is to you, the fact that he's at work in you, through you and around you and what he's done for you. And may your voice and heart then choose to respond with rejoicing. See on the hill of Calvary, my savior bled for me. 
My Jesus set me free. And look, look at the wounds that gave me life. Grace flowing from his side. No greater sacrifice. What he's done, what he's done, all the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. Sing for the freedom he has won. Even death is dead and it is done. His life has overcome. Speak, say the name above all names over every broken place. He is risen from the grave. Oh, what he's done and what he's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. Now, on a throne of majesty, the Father's will complete. He reigns in victory. Oh, sing hallelujah to the King, for he is worthy to receive all the worship we can bring. Oh, what he's done, oh, what he's done, all the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. Father, we love you. And may we just take a moment literally and rest in that reality. Forgive us, God, for succumbing so often to the tyranny of the urgent, the calendar, the iPhone. And we neglect to rest in the reality of your grace, to rejoice in response to who you are to us and what you've done for us. Rekindle our hearts again with the joy of our salvation. Reset our minds on your goodness and your glory and realign our perspective on who you are and what you've done. You are always holy. You are mighty to save. You do great things. You are merciful. You are God. And you are our Savior. Praise your name forever. And may that joy fill our hearts on the highest of highs and the lowest of lows on the roller coaster that is life as we cling to your promises and the reality that you will accomplish your purposes. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna do something now um, that's really important. We wanna recognize how God is at work in us, which is what we were just doing. And we wanna continue to do that, but we wanna recognize that he wants to work in it through us and around us as well. We wanna rejoice because of that Christmas is coming if you haven't heard, right? We believe in the power of prayer. We wanna pray for Christmas Eve service. We wanna pray for those that, that God would put on your heart to invite 
that you would name them by name, that you would pray for them and that you would follow through with boldness to invite them, that you would be proactive in inviting and reactive, that when you meet somebody randomly at the store, you understand the sovereignty of God. It's not a random encounter that you were sent as an ambassador of God, not just to buy groceries at Wegmans or Aldi's, but as an ambassador of the King of Kings to share the joy of the Lord with someone who might be hurting. So would you gather now in groups of three or four, we're gonna take a couple minutes to pray and pray for two things. Pray that God would lay on your heart the people that he would have you invite for Christmas Eve service. Pray for them by name if you know them. And then commit, pray for the obedience to do that. We have invite cards in the back, happy to give them to you. And then would you pray for Christmas Eve service that God would move and work. Even if you're not here, if you're traveling, great, you can still be inviting. But would you pray that God's presence would manifest itself in this place? Because when God shows up, things change that he would save hearts, that he would renew minds and that he would restore joy to the hurting and the hopeless, to the wandering. So right now, just whether you know the people or not, just grab three or four people, five people, whatever is around you and just start to pray. Maybe say your name and then just begin to pray and then I'll close this time in prayer and we will respond in singing. And joy can be expressed very loudly like Elizabeth did or it can be very somber, but it's still joyful. So we're gonna respond in the reality of who God is to us. So just grab some folks start praying and we'll close this time together in prayer.
oh Lord, our, our soul magnifies you today. We rejoice in you because you have looked upon us who are weary and broken and hurting and lowly. And mighty things you have done, God. And holy is your name. You reign sovereign and supreme over every situation. You're sufficient in every circumstance, God. And your mercy you have poured out from generation to generation and you've done it before and we're asking you to do it again. We're asking you to move in the hearts and lives of those that we interact with, those in this room and listening online and those in our, our circles that we go to work with and go to school with on our highways and byways and hallways, gods of life, where we work out, where we walk in the neighborhoods, God, that your mercy would penetrate into the mess that is the sin around us and the fallenness and the brokenness and that you would do great things and that you would bring salvation and restoration, God, because holy is your name and mighty is who you are and great things is what you do. And God, that we, you would fill us with a humble boldness, that we would believe that you actually save that we would believe with conviction that others need to know. And so we need to go across the streets, across the cubicle, across the world, that we would posture our hearts like Mary in full surrender to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to invite others to experience the same life-altering reality of your salvation that we have. Through your grace, from your spirit, for your glory. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.